like, hey, remember when you were in the locker room and you used to do that and, like, flop your dick as you were, like, going back and forth? Yeah, hilarious. You remember the helicopter before mm-hmm. it was a helicopter? Obviously, it was memorable. I still remember it. <laughs> All right, well. I have a high thought okay. that leads into this. Okay. That, was, you're going you're gonna to segue? Well, I don't think it's a segue now that I said it was a segue, right? Okay. I'm going to turn it into a segue. It's like a four-wheeled segue instead of a two-wheeler. So, one of my high thoughts that I had this week was who do you think will be remembered 300 years from now? Like out of all the people that are living now, Mm -hmm. because it seems like we have a very large swath of famous people, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure every like hundred years, there's a large swath of famous people, but we just don't ever remember or hear about them again. I think like we know Alexander the Great, Mm -hmm. we know Cleopatra, we know Caesar. Like you have to do something. But that's like worldwide. I know what I'm saying is like, are you talking about just, I'm only naming someone here. In America? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because, like, the way that I think about it is, like, will Bezos be remembered 300 years? Well, he'll probably run the world if we're here 300 years from now. It'll still be Bezos' head. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, just (laughs) floating around. It'll be the future on the thing. It'll be the head floating in this. Yeah. yeah. You saw him at the football game, right? I caught, like, the end of it, but I didn't see any of the interaction between, like, Goodell. I saw Goodell and Bezos sitting together, but I didn't see any of the interaction. Bezos gave, like, the most non-human handshake. Oh, yeah, I saw the picture where he's, like, gripping her hand, like, he's reaching up behind him and, like, grasping her hand, like a claw around her hand. It it is an awkward, like, spot for a handshake, but the uh, grab seemed very odd. It was just, like, he... I'm not sure what to do with my hands. Yeah, he, he's not his human I can interaction. Flex better is, if I'm holding your hand like this. I can't <laughs> flex if I got my wrist bent back. He might be an alien. But would you say that between like if we only had one, would you say that Bezos or Steve Jobs or uh, Bill Gates? It's not like, gonna be. It's not gonna be Steve Jobs because there's already people you can talk to that like I don't know who Steve Jobs is, and they're using an iPhone or a or a MacBook or something that they don't know who that is. I think depending on what Bezos does going forward, maybe depending on like kind of what Amazon does. And um, I'd like it to be somebody that gets remembered for the right things. But looking back in history, it seems to be that people get remembered mostly for the shit. Like it's the shitty people or the people that have done horrible things to get remembered. Do you think that we've reached a tipping point where like, politicians could be like in the second breath after like a Giorgio Armani or something like yeah, that. Or even, even within, yeah. Or even above that, because we're getting to the point now where like, think of it like, even though you may not have paid attention to politics, let's just even say 15 years ago, how many senators could you name? You Unfortunately, name, 15 years ago, most of the senators are still the same people that are in there now. Okay, but what I'm saying is at that time, 15 years ago, if someone was like, please name me 10 members of Congress, I would be like, maybe the Speaker of the House, it, maybe you the House get, my Minority Leader. Yeah, you could get Newt Gingrich and yes, people all those that, kind of people. But the thing is, is people that have been shitty are going to be the ones that like, or make shitty statements are going to be the ones that are going to be remembered. Absolutely. I, I would like to optimistically think that like the somebody that will be remembered, he's not... American, but it's that. Did you hear about that Patagonia guy, the Yvonne Schoenard? Okay, so was that a name? His name's Yvonne Ivan Schoenard or Yvonne Schoenard or something like that, which is funny because remember the movie Heartbreak Kid? Uh huh. So it was Ben Stiller? Yes. Yeah, so remember where he's trying to like lie to the crazy ass chick when they're on their honeymoon? And he's like, <laughs> honey, 
you'll never guess who I ran in today. It was Ivan Schoenard. She's like, who? And he's like, Big Cheese, Patagonia. Like, I just thought he's making shit up. This is the owner of Patagonia. So, you haven't heard what this guy's doing? No. Okay. So, Patagonia. I love his clothing. Okay. So, he makes like $100 million. Patagonia makes $100 million a year. So, he came out and said that from now going forward, all of Patagonia's proceeds are going toward research for climate change. So he's at the point now where after, you know, paying employees, all that kind of stuff, anything that would be profit and everything is now going toward climate change research. I, yeah, that that seems incredible because after so many consecutive $100 million times that you put shit in your pocket every time, there can come to a point where it's just like, hey, I, I have enough. I have enough for well, me. In 15, exactly. So in 15 years from now, he'll have donated $1.5 billion to... And what's more is like, what, you know, what can someone doing that do to inspire maybe another person? So I would like to think that somebody that does something like that, and that to me makes a lot of sense. I mean, I know that like when there's this thing where when people get wealthy, the challenge for them is to try to get wealthier. It's like they they didn't hit the mountaintop by getting wealthy and having enough money like generational wealth to keep them rich, their family rich for no one ever has to work again from now to the end of time. Well, and it takes a certain kind of drive and motivation to get to that point in the beginning. And it's not like something you can just shut off after you feel like that's true. I guess if it does, I guess if it doesn't happen overnight, like it does rarely, then it probably takes a while. It's kind of like turn off the tap if you did want to do that. Oh yeah. Like Cuban or somebody like that who's grinded their entire lives. Once they get to that, I'm good point. There's still going to be some trickle down and some some runoff of trying to make more money, I think. All right. Well, I can segue that right into what we're going to be talking about. You shouldn't have said segue. All right. Well, I'm just going to do it anyway. Okay. Okay. So tonight's topic, or yeah, I guess we're, we're recording this at night. Usually we record it during the day. But today's topic is going to be the Knights Templar, or as they were, that's how what they were commonly known as, or the Templars what they were actually the knights of the temple of solomon there was also a name like the poor knights of something they keep they went by like five different names and you may recognize the knights templar or the Templars, from such popular works as The Da Vinci Code and the Assassin's Creed video games, the show The Last Night. And I need your confirmation on this. Uh, was he the knight in Monty Python? If any of them were wearing white with the red that's cross. what I, I don't remember. That's You've seen what, Monty Python, right? Yes. Where he's getting his arms and legs cut off and he keeps talking about a flesh wound? No, that's the Black Knight. Oh, I was going to say, I swear to God, I saw One the of, red no, cross. No, no, no. I think the main guy might have been wearing the white with the cross. Whoever so was the main guy, King Richard, I think, or whoever it was, was the, yeah. Okay. But I'm trying to think, what else have they? Oh, they're also, um, if you've heard anything about the Freemasons, um, they're tied or supposedly tied to the the Knights Templar. Um, and then also, if you've seen the movie Kingdom of Heaven, I think it's Ridley Scott. It's the one with Orlando Bloom. Um, it's kind of loosely based on the, I want to say the Second Crusade. And the Knights Templar play a pretty prominent role in that. And Indiana Jones. 
Yes, the, and any the I, last I, crusade. I, I do not know how I didn't remember that. That was on the list. I was getting there. <laughs> and uh, oh god, there was one other one. Um, oh, that stupid ass. You've seen that Curse of Oak Island show? Mm-mm. It's a show on like Nat Geo or something like that, where there's this island called Oak Island. And these two or three dipshits have been digging for buried gold. Mm -hmm. And I think it morphs over time as to, like, where the gold came from. It's just basically a show like, hey, we're going to get you to the edge of your seat. Say we found something cut off for next week to guarantee ratings, and then it was nothing. That's the exact premise of the Nazi Hunter shows. Yeah. Is there, like, we've detected something under the water. This could be a submarine. Find out next week. Exactly. God damn it. And they're like... It was just some, it was an old bike. And you're like, God damn it, man. <laughs> Turns out it was a sea cow or, or bad. But was the bike, was the bike German? <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's that exact same premise. And one of the buried treasures that they look for on Oak Island is there's an old, I guess, myth that the Knights Templar, after they were uh, dismantled, mm-hmm. a bunch of them came over and buried a bunch of gold on Oak Island. Where which, is Oak Island? Is it Nova uh, Scotia? I think so. I think it's Okay, a, so I did hear about the Nova Scotia stuff. Yes, okay, so I did hear about that. Because they stretch even as far as Scotland, right? They said that That's they might have gone the down Roslyn there, too. That's where the Roslyn Temple is, or the Roslyn Church, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, the, where do you think the idea came from for buried treasure? That always... Pirates. But I don't... Any, or, or not why pirates, would pirates anyone, bury their treasure? Anyone. Uh, the fucking pharaohs. That's technically tombs are buried. Yeah, Like, they, okay. King Tut's tomb was buried. That makes sense. I just... You hear so much about this buried treasure that could be out there. I don't to, think there a lot used of people to be a time shit. when the fucking safest place was in the ground. That I, that's just where you had to hide it. They're like, we're just going to have to hope we can come back and find this. Okay, everyone, count off uh, how many feet between these two trees are we and everything. Maybe I just feel like pirates didn't ever try to bury their shit. I just remember that from from pirate movies. That might be you know what we might be, um, we might be mislabeling pirates. Pirate cultural appropriation. Yeah, we got to stay away from that. So here's one of the things, too, is this was a lot meatier than it's ever, like, portrayed. And it's because a lot of the stuff isn't, like, the action and the sexy stuff. But the Knights Templar are, like, to me, after looking into it and kind of learning more than what I previously... It's just... it's in, It's really, like, innovative and... The fact that they say they just disappeared or were dismantled, I don't agree with that. I have a, I have a problem <laughs> with it. So before we get into that, because I figure we'll be able to knock out the factual information and kind of the history, because, again, they only existed for, what, 300 years? Something like From that. inception to the dismantling of it. Um, I feel like we'll be able to knock that out in a pretty reasonable amount of time. But it's the after stuff. or not really. It's not even conspiracies. What would be the lore surrounding them? I guess I... I focused more on just kind of their actual, like, their story and how they were as well, that's a good because then functioning can, unit. Then I can ask you stuff and ask what you're thinking about on the fly. Yeah. So basically how the Knights Templar came about is it all goes back to the Crusades and the First Crusade. Um, kind of in a nutshell, <clears throat> the Crusades were these series of, I guess, what would you say it was a series of wars that were waged in the Holy Land by Europeans to try to take over the city of Jerusalem as well as the rest of the Holy Land. It, I think it started out that way as like a, a quest to do something in the name of Christianity to try to take over a place. But 
like the second and third crusades, they go after Damascus, which is the kind of like home base of the. It's, it's kind of what during the crusades, the Christianity home base is going to be Jerusalem and for <clears throat> sort of, I mean, when they do occupy it, I mean, yeah, when they don't occupy it, they don't have a base there in the Holy land. They have to go back to Europe. Well, I don't even know if Damascus is technically in the Holy land. I don't think it is. I, I know there's a lot of references <clears throat> to like the road to Damascus and that type mm-hmm. of thing, but I think Damascus was kind of like the home base for, uh, the Muslim sect that was down yeah. there. And then probably either England or probably, no, it would have to be Italy. It would have to be in the Vatican City in Rome would be the home base for Christianity because it was Catholic. That's not where they were stationed at that point, though. The well, hub for them was in France at this point. It was France and England, wasn't it? I thought it was all yeah, three of it, them. Yeah, the, they hadn't established, I don't think they'd established Vatican City or it wasn't like what it is, like the hub of like Catholicism, like religion it is today. It may not have been. They did have meetings in Rome to do. No, to I'm talk sure they about. did. I'm just saying. I don't think it's as big as it. There's it's, probably no Vatican City back then. It exactly. Was that was just a, kind of a their separate thing. Their home. So, so I do. Sorry, I do think um, they probably started out as like actual quests to try to take back what they thought was theirs through their mm-hmm. religion, but after a few, it kind of became like if I can take this. And then I can take away the warring factions' homeland too, or their base, their home base. Yeah, you're you're essentially pro- not you're not giving them a place to reestablish themselves. Or yeah, to build they're strength gone. Again. Yeah. So you're it's not necessarily genocide, but at the same time, you're trying to take it back to the nest and kind of take that out. Yeah, kill, yeah. crack all the eggs, mm-hmm. fuck it all up. Which I, they so. After the First Crusade, which was 1099, um, they captured Jerusalem and had made that a home base. They had a king who was King Baldwin the Second that was there. And as they're traveling to this new, it's basically like going back to Mecca. It's going to the Holy Land. You would get bands of travelers that would be coming down to the Holy Land, whether it be to move there or just to come see it or whatever. Well, the pilgrimage that they were taking to the Holy Land ended up becoming like a tourist thing. It, it was, was like, like a religious, a, it was like religious tourism. And so you would have these people coming down to the Holy Land that were just like, not probably like normal people, but people that wanted to come down. But these people aren't like knights or like people that are able to really defend themselves they're commoners, and if they had the money, they could probably have like their set of squires and security mm-hmm. guards and all that. But if you didn't have that, you were basically left to your own devices, and you're going to get picked off by anybody that's sitting over there waiting for you to come over the hill. Well, and that's what happened is you would get just raids and bandits on these travelers coming to the Holy Land, and they were just getting robbed and killed. And so eventually, they were like, we should probably like figure out a way to protect these people on the way to the Holy land during their pilgrimage. And that's kind of what the founding of the Knights Templar were is it was a religious, like a theocratic, what they call it a theocratic paramilitary operation. So basically paramilitary is like an armed military type force that doesn't have a, a country of allegiance. Like you would know, like private military contractors today are our equivalent of a paramilitary group. Yeah, they, these guys were, it wasn't about a land holding that they were like 
that they wanted to save and be a part of. It was they had a religious a calling. Like, it was a religious calling, is what it was. Yeah, and when you talk about the poor and all that, that they called themselves. They had a certain set of beliefs and guides, and the first guy that started it, his name was Hugh DePan, and he asked King Baldwin of Jerusalem, like, hey, we see what's going on with all these people coming on these pilgrimages here. They're getting picked off by uh, the Muslim forces mm-hmm. that are over there that are keeping an eye on our trade route. All these people, because you didn't have banks back then. So- no, and here's the thing about the routes to the Holy Land. This isn't like multiple ways in here like roads, there were literally like one or two established routes to get in here and bandits would just wait. You know exactly where they're coming through. Yeah, they, they can, they have to come through here. And if you're planning on spending any money in Jerusalem for housing or anything like that, you have to carry that with you, mm-hmm. which you're just a sitting duck. So Hugh said that he wanted to put together a group to basically protect the pilgrims as they came through, like hired security, which mm-hmm. is where you get into the paramilitary force. And Baldwin said, yeah, that's great. We'll set it up. Um, you can set up your order, make all that stuff happen. Did you do you, did you see where he allowed them to set up? It was right outside of Solomon's Temple, wasn't it? Was, it? it, it so a little bit of background on Jerusalem and I'll try to kind of go through this. So Jerusalem being, you know, it's kind of the, the Holy city for, um, Judaism. I don't, it's like the Holy city for everybody. Though. It, it is. And which is why it was so contested and why it still is. How does that happen? How, how do three very vastly different religions all have like the same, they all have, point? they all have a different like claim, claim or um, part of their religion that took place in that city. And so they all have a, a tie to it for, for different reasons. That's so crazy to me to think that that was potentially like the major events that happened in these religions were yeah. all in the same city. So, and it was originally the, the biggest thing was for um, the Jewish people is the temple of Solomon is um, stated to have been in Jerusalem and in this section of Jerusalem that's the highest point in it, called the Temple Mount. And basically just think of like a hill that's kind of been flattened and then built a big platform on top. And that's where they believe the Temple of Solomon was. Now, the big thing with the Temple of Solomon is it's, as the story goes, the Temple of Solomon is where um, a lot of these holy, what they would consider the the holy relics were, were stored. So there was a, inside the Temple of Solomon was this room that was people weren't allowed to go and it was called the Holy, Holy of Holies. And that's like where the Ark of the Covenant is said to have been kept. So it ends up in tie back to Babylon. It ends up being destroyed during a takeover by the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar during his reign. Mm. So they end up destroying the temple of Solomon when they sacked Jerusalem. So now it's just like the temple. They said that the, I'm trying to figure out what the name of the building was. It was the, Al, I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher this. It's the El Aqsa, A-Q-S-A. I, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce that. Mosque. And then also on the Temple Mount is the Dome of the Rock. So this mosque, though, I mean, this is an insanely like treasured holy structure. And he basically is like, guys, set up shop in here. So they're given a section of this. And this was bigger than like the Royal Palace and everything. So Baldwin didn't even stay in here. He's like, no, you guys can go ahead and use a room here. Hmm. I didn't know it was that big. Yeah. So, I mean, from the get-go... They've already established this. I mean, how many other do you think groups, even within Jerusalem and and within all of the different sects that were there, 
Because you had just not only the Knights Templar, but you also had, I think one of them was called the Knights Hospitalier. Yes. Hospitalier yep. was kind of their warring that was kind of, that was like their rival and everything, and they were the ones that rendered aid, and they That's had where you get hospital from I think yeah they they had roots along the pilgrimage mm-hmm. trails where they were tending to people, and yeah, and they were wearing different colored robes, mm-hmm. and everyone wore kind of different stuff to to differentiate them, so well, but, hmm? sorry uh the the fact that they gave him that much room. And it was Hugh and, like, eight other dudes that yeah, it started, started small. Out. And here's the thing, too, is, like, the Knights Templar didn't knight their own guys. You had to, to be a knight in the Knights Templar, you had to have been previously knighted. And then that's how you got to carry over your, your knighthood into the Knights Templar. For real? Yeah. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't knight people within their own organization. The knights that they had were people that were previously knighted. So, I mean, like with a lot of knights that, if you've ever kind of looked into it, kind of some of the common um, vows apply here as well. So Knights Templar were also chaste, so keeping them dicks in them pants, which I can't imagine that things are going to smell very good. You got armor on, it's the desert, probably for the best. Yeah, gross. Um, Also vows of uh, poverty. So individuals were not allowed within this, within the Knights Templar to essentially like really own property or get rich off of this. As... Solo knights. As so individuals. Yeah. As individuals. And then they, I think, um, they didn't have anything against owning land, and that'll come back in into play. I'm trying to think, what are some of the other kind of main chastity, poverty? Um, A holy life that was dedicated to yeah. the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, they were basically considered eventually as the Pope's army. Yes. Because they were so large in numbers, and that was their loyalty. So, like we were talking about earlier, instead of like swearing loyalty to a, a country or anything mm-hmm. like that, which was what everything was back then, the Catholic Church actually had an army that swore themselves them. to them. Yeah, they pretty much endorsed them. And it was weird how it came about, too, because I think like they had this guy that was kind of in the Pope's ear... And oh, I'm not sure if it was the Pope, but the church overall, but there was this guy that was basically like their hype guy that was telling these people in power within the church, how great these knights were and what they were doing for Jerusalem and what they were doing to protect everyone. And at that point they were able to convince the church to, um, it's not immunity. I'm trying to remember what the term is for it, but you kind of touched on it too. Basically they got sponsored by the church and then at that point, they were exempt from paying taxes. They did not have to answer to anyone but the church itself. And they started getting land being provided to them by the church because, you know, their numbers are starting to grow. I mean, at their peak, what was it, 20,000? Uh, I think it might have been a little bit more than that. It was between 15 and 20. But the, the numbers with all this stuff are really just guesses because it was so long ago and you only have access to so many roles and then you have to look at honesty. When you talk about a lot of the sizes of these armies that go into battle against each other, you have to remember it's the same rule of history where whoever's writing this history is either going to make themselves sound better or worse. Mm-hmm. So if you inflate numbers, it's going to sound like you're more badass. Why, yeah, why wouldn't you want to write down the, like, how many guys did they have? Well, I mean, we had, like, a 1,000 and they had, like, 500 well, what if, like, they had 1,500? Hey, what if you were outnumbered? Without, yeah, we were and, outnumbered and we overcame the odds because we're the chosen, the anointed by God himself. 
so 20,000 probably could have been close and thinking about it because um, when Hugh finally got the go ahead from Baldwin, he basically went on like a world tour mm-hmm. of their their part of the world tour. Well, they started having all of these families. So you would have like well-to-do families or royal families. And what they would do is if they had like multiple sons, they would keep the oldest, the heir safe. And then the other sons, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a Prince Harry and William situation. Cause like, didn't Prince Harry go serve a couple tours with like the British uh, um, the, in Afghanistan? Or the something? older one did. He was like legitimate. I want to say like he was a tech guy for air support or mm-hmm. something like that. Like a very in tune yeah. position. Like he wasn't being protected as the prince or whatever the fuck they are. But that's how you would bring honor to your family is they're like, we got a couple extra sons here. Let's send them down to fight for God in the Holy land. And we can keep our heir here safe. And then they can go and try to go ahead and, you know, win glory for our house, like up the ante for our, our lineage. So because those people were more either in like well-to-do families or even from Royal families, they would get knighted. And then be able to go and join the Knights Templar having knighthood. Hmm. So, okay, so they would just be knighted wherever they were, and then they were allowed to join. Yeah, because I'm guessing it's, man, like, if you really think about it, like, politics are politics regardless. So, you have a king, but the king also needs taxes and needs support from the rich families in the area. What better way to do that? Be like, hey, you know, I got this extra wheat, um, or I can do this for you, but I got my boy, and he really needs that knighthood. Send him over. Uh, yeah, almost like a an offering. Yeah. Sort of a just that policy. It's a visa, what do they call it, visa V? Yeah. I, I, oh, don't, not visa I don't know v. what that means. No, what's it called? Like, uh, oh. Uh, Say levy? No, it's uh, like, what do you call it? If I give you something, you give me something. What's the... A Dutch rudder? <laughs> That's maybe. <laughs> what the fuck is that term called? Reach around. No. Oh, my God. Uh, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. You are not helping this situation, dude. Okay, keep going. I'm going to figure out what it is. Along with that, in getting these recruits coming in from these more well-to-do families, um, they're also getting offerings from other kings of the areas who like actually really like and support them. And one king that passed away left a third of his land to the Knights Templar. And the other two heirs that got the um, other two-thirds didn't really want them to be around. So they essentially bought them out and yeah. took that back. So they're making money off of basically like real estate purchases. Quid pro quo. Okay. Yeah. Down to Dutch rudder. <laughs> I don't know. You, you have yours. I have mine. So I heard a, a term that I actually really liked and it's really simple, but it's nails it on the head. So it's piety points, which is interesting because I think the, uh, Pope that gave him the go ahead mm-hmm. was Pope Pius. Was it? Yeah. I Perfect. not 100% sure, but Pope Pius is I'm going to go with it because that just sounds good. Yeah. So what would happen is you would get these lords and kings. They were like, I'm not fucking going down there to fight. But what I can do is I can get me some of them piety points by funding it, giving them the money, the treasure, or maybe I send to some people from my lands down there to fight. I'm not going to do it myself. But because I'm facilitating, I'm still in support of this, you know, retaking the Holy Land or keeping it. So I'm going to get those those God points. Financial skin in the game is still skin in the game. Yeah. It's just not one that'll get hey, you these killed. these are my guys that are dying. It's it's like I'm there. Yeah. 
it's kind of like uh, carbon buybacks or whatever. Or well, it's horseshit. But yeah, yeah. Same same idea. Um, so he, th- they're starting to make money hand over fist, and these lands that they're getting aren't just coming from that one third. They're getting lands all over England and France and everything. And they basically turn into feudal lords at this point because they have all this land who they're basically renting out. I never saw any numbers, but they're getting basically paid in crops and all these different things that then they can sell, which is making their profit skyrocket. They're just making money hand over fist. And this is kind of right around what you were talking about. Um, It was called the Council of Trois, I believe. Sounds good. And it happened right around 1129, so this is about 10 years from when the Templar Knights started. And the Pope said, uh, you're tax exempt, you have a license to, basically like a license to kill, you won't be brought up. We, we trust you're doing this in the name of God. Yes, yeah, precisely, that's what it was. Um. And the tax thing is huge because all of the money that they're making is money off of the people who would normally be taxed and they have to pay the Knights Templar who don't get taxed. Meanwhile, everything that they didn't have to pay them, they have to pay a portion of taxes out of whatever they got to keep. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine that they probably wouldn't be too pumped up about this. And this kind of feels like how a lot of people... I hope feel about churches not paying taxes Mm -hmm. because they're taking money as donations and they're, they're taking whatever they have Mm -hmm. and that's their profit. Basically. That's what that is. Well, and with donations, there's no contractual obligation to do with that money, what they say they're going to do. No, it's just, it's you believing that your 10% or whatever it is will go to a good, just cause and not, we spent all hundred thousand dollars on this new sound system. That retails for $5,000. And how great is it? I mean, it, it sounds amazing. So I'm sure that the people, I, everybody I think felt pretty good about the Knights at this point. They were starting this protection racket. I Maybe not a racket, but starting this protection business for the pilgrimage. And they also, which I found this to be amazing because this almost feels like, hey, aliens, but mm-hmm. it just really comes down to numbers. They set up, was it a bank in England, a bank in France, and then one in Jerusalem, or was it just France and Jerusalem? No, I think they were actually probably in more locations than that, because, I mean, at at their height, they had holdings all over um, what would have been, I guess, Great Britain at that point, the Isle of Great Britain, um, in France, and then kind of like leading down also in the Holy Land. At one point, they owned the island of Cyprus. They were given an entire island. And then and, and sold Cyprus, it back to the guy that gave it to them. And Cyprus is not small. Look it up. Google it. It's like the third biggest island in the Mediterranean in that area. So, I mean, that's that's no small thing. Um, so being that, you know, let's just say 20,000 just to give it a, a round number. So at their height, 20,000 strong. They have all these land holdings. They're amazing at building castles. They love building castles and forts. This is where it's going to tie into the Freemasons because they had these guys that would do this and they ended up becoming Freemasons or kind of like um, a precursor or involved with the Freemasons that did this. So here's the tie to that. Okay. We're going to come back to it. Mm. At this point, only 10% of the 20,000 were knights. So 10% were able to go ahead and fight. 
but that doesn't also account for, and I know you have it written up there, that there was um, three levels of people within the Knights Templar. You were either a knight, you were then a sergeant, or I'm trying to remember what the name of the last kind of group was. The the heads? Sure. They had a very odd... Uh, well, they I had the Grand Master who was yes, the guy that okay, oversaw... Yes, okay, good. Yes, they that was close. Okay. I almost said Grand Wizard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was the knights, sergeants, chaplains. Okay, so sergeants and chaplains, they also had... Um, these were the guys, 18,000 of them. A lot of these guys were good at finance, and they kind of developed into what's widely recognized as the world's first established banking system. They developed it. And so you would have the knights that would do battle and everything. And each of these guys would have a squire and then like three or four horses. And then this, like someone else was able to hold like two horses. They liked horses. They needed them. But I think that was also probably one of the ways that they were able to suggest that they needed land and get all this land holdings. Like we got a lot of guys. We got to like feed our guys. We have to have room for the new guys were bringing in. So, I mean, it was a pretty good, pretty good sell. Well, but, and every one of our guys has three horses and a squire. Yeah, so we need to feed these fucking horses. We, we need room. Yeah. So, with these, like, three groups, they developed a banking system where what they would do, and I have a huge, like, I've been thinking about this all fucking day. Yeah, before you do it, that yeah. was the other thing, was the Catholic Church said that they were entitled to any of the spoils of war that they got from when they would go like raid a place. Mm -hmm. So they said, or he said, whatever you find, you can keep, which is a ton more shit than they were. All they were doing was the church would get the win Mm -hmm. and then the knights would get all the spoils, which were were tons because they were Mm -hmm. taking over these monasteries and big ass castles. And 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 I think it kind of goes without saying the way we're talking about it. At this point in history, the church is the most powerful kind of what, like it's the powerhouse. You do have, king of France, king of England, but you also have all these lords around it. So they don't, they're not like honestly the king of their own country. They're the king of the area in which they're kind of centralized in. And then you do have other like kings or lords that kind of go over other areas. They also were in Spain and in Portugal. The most important thing for them though, with catechism, Catholicism, Catholicism, there it is was it was the prevailing religion in all these areas. Mm-hmm. So you had to make sure... And at this point, isn't Christianity and Catholicism kind of... Uh, yeah. Yeah, same same diff. It, pretty much. It's kind of like Catholicism is a part of Christianity, like it's an off offshoot. But you had to keep the Pope happy, because if you pissed off the Pope, the Pope would tell his people that you were a bad king, you would get all sorts of problems, you would eventually probably get overthrown at that point. So you had to have a balancing act where... Oh, if God's not happy with you, you're out. Yeah, and that was sort of part of it, was anybody like that was found disrespecting a Knights Templar or anybody like that, didn't matter what it was, didn't matter if they were a bishop, whatever, anything like that, mm-hmm. if they were caught disrespecting one of the knights, they could be like kicked out of the church or put to death. Mm-hmm. Like Just any sort of, that's kind of the bulletproof that they had. And kind of going back to what you were saying, like being able to keep all the things from these raids or taking over these towns. So in the Holy Land, which is what we consider now to be like, would it be like Jerusalem, Israel, Palestine? I'm not sure. Palestine's in Israel too. Okay. Kind of. Oh, that's right. Okay. In, a, in a way. 
I don't know. So I'd say that the correct way. There's a lot of like castles, farms in the Holy Land that when they took over Jerusalem, they would then kind of branch out and take over these other places around. It's for security too. I mean, if you know an army's coming in, you want your other like kind of satellite stations to pick them up first. It, you sponge you up everything else around you, all those resources too. And like all these places though are getting traded back and forth hands. So like you'll have people come in, establish themselves live there, bring in all their stuff, and then you would have an army come in, raid it, and kill everyone and take all their shit. Then that army would stay there, reestablish themselves. Then another army would come in, like if the Muslims came back in to retake it. All of a sudden, everyone's dead and the Muslims are taken. So, I mean, there's no, like, uh, shortage of loot just trading hands around oh, this yeah. area. And so what the, the biggest thing, when I was kind of touching on the banking, is what they developed was a system in kind of like you were saying, I'm not sure if it was just England, uh, it was England and France all kind of smattered about, but you would go to these places where the Templars had established a castle or like a, essentially a station. A vault, yeah. Yeah, and you would give them the treasure that you were intending to take down there or how much money you wanted to take down with you. They would give you some type of token or receipt. I'm not sure how the system worked. They would give you that. And then when you got to the Holy Land, Jerusalem, you would then go into the Templar office, give them that receipt or token or whatever it was. They would then give you treasure in the amount or in the value of what you checked in with them before. Which is fucking brilliant. Okay. Did you um, see if you thought about this? What do you think happened when the people taking these tokens down? Because it's not foolproof. You're still not safe on the Pilgrim Road. No. And the knights aren't going to be everywhere. What happened when these people still didn't make it to retrieve their treasure? At that point, if let's say they get raided by the Muslims, they can't go into Jerusalem and be like, hey, I found this stub. Mm -hmm. Can I get this treasure? The Templars would just, I would imagine, like, unless you have somebody at home that you gave a copy of, that they gave a copy of the receipt to or another receipt, they would then have to know you died, go retrieve the treasure, or if that never happened and everyone was with you, the Templars are going to keep that. Well, and that's that's where I think maybe the banking system, and maybe I'm just putting so much forethought into what it is today as far as what it would have been back then. Mm -hmm. But like when you put money in a bank now, when you put your check in, you don't get the same virtual currency that you put in at that point. Or you don't, like if you put a hundred bucks in and then pull a hundred bucks out, mm -hmm. it's not going to be that same thing because a bank is basically the idea, which I figure you know that you throw everybody's money into it that bank does a million different things with it. Mm -hmm. And then you, if you have to go pull out money, you're just pulling from the one big pot. That's it. It's the, the basically the principle of it is you could give them a hundred dollars. They'll deposit it. And you could literally turn around and be like, I'd now like to withdraw a hundred dollars. And technically that hundred dollars you withdraw is somebody else's hundred dollars. They just go in the back with a bucket and scoop up the gold <laughs> coins and bring it out to you. I assume <laughs> is this way. Does this seem like it's a good way? Yeah. And so, what's, and what's to say they don't short someone by a little bit. Well, yeah, and like you were saying, if you died and you didn't get there to reclaim your money, nobody gets that. That just stays in the big pile of money. Mm -hmm. So your money, the more that people die, the less they're going to cash in, the higher that pile grows. And I'm sure they do charge some type of fee. They're like, okay, well, here's the deal. For us to provide this service, we got to keep 10%. Okay, fine. But the thing is, too, is if people were checking and stuff, I assume they're probably at least educated enough to have treasure but at what point are the knights so good at this banking system that they're like, well, you know, this is valued at, let's say, let's just put dollars on it. This is valued at $100. And they just write, they're like, but it's really worth 120 And so they're just 
lowering the value. It's like a pawn shop. Yeah. But the people aren't educated enough to know. I mean, what I'm saying is that, like, if they developed the banking system, then they were the ones that got to regulate the system and develop the system in the way that they wanted to. There were, there had to have been, like, advantages and, and ways that they could go about keeping that gold. Like, so think of it this way. We're the bank, but we're also responsible for making sure you're safe and getting where you need to get to withdraw your money. That seems like a... If you're dead, who are you going to complain to? Who Like, you can't call management if you're dead. Well, and I hate to think this way, but it's somewhere that I go. Like, if you see at the bank that you have a whale that just put in 10,000 shackles of gold or whatever, mm-hmm. and you send somebody ahead to the security to be like, oh, this big fella is going to be coming through here. We're going to be providing security for him. He deposited a lot of money. If he doesn't make Maybe it. Maybe just tell the boys to take that day off when they were supposed to be watching it, the road. Yeah, just forget, or you don't see a, the message, a band coming I'm over. I'm sorry, the message didn't get there. Uh, the message yours. Yeah, our messenger, he was killed. It's, to me, it's just an odd thing to think about. I wonder how much that goes on today. Like, if somebody dies and they don't have, like, family or friends or anything like that, does that money just stay in their account, just stay of, with the bank? Think of, what do they call that, like, reclaim funds? unclaimed funds that you mm-hmm. can put in your name and it'll pull up if you For were like doing taxes anything. and shit. Yeah. How many people don't know? Like there was that big thing where it, it's been more relevant in the news, like within the last five years. But before that, no one had any fucking clue that that was even an option. Like I have, I could have money sitting somewhere. Yeah. Unclaimed money. Mm-hmm. So the majority of their guys are kind of dedicated to this. It's not only this banking, but it's actually management of all of their holdings. So this is also why they say that the Knights Templar were kind of the first like multinational corporation ever made or ever in existence. These guys aren't stupid is what I'm trying to say. And I think that ties into what my theory is going to be going forward. Yeah, I, I could see just the, the thought process behind that. And I don't know if it was like the monkish behavior that they had, but everything that they had or everything that they did, they were just good at. Mm-hmm. They were always the most superior warriors on the battlefield they clearly understood and set up a very brilliant, profitable banking system. Mm-hmm. And well, of course, you're going to be the best warriors because you can outfit all of your knights with the best equipment. You have unlimited funds that you're able to go ahead and for training and for equipment and you know horses, squires, all that shit. Uh, their training was second to none, and um, one of the oh. Uh, we're down at like, yeah. Pope Innocent. Or... I, pope names blow my mind. I know. You have a Pope Pius and then a Pope Innocent. But they're not their real names. No. You get to pick their name. But like where where does Innocent come in? Like do you just get to pick whatever or is there like Catholic mm-hmm. names you choose from? Well, no, because you do get like Pope John Paul the Fourth. So I guess like. Maybe this dude was a second. So there was a first Pope Innocent. Yeah, so maybe it's like an homage. Maybe you're like, I really like what this guy did. I want to tie my name to this guy because he was so good. That people will automatically think that I'm good because we have the same name. So if you were the next pope in line now with all of the... I just look back at who the most successful pope was. Yeah, but right now, like in this current iteration in of our the Catholic Church, would you go with Pope Innocent for your name just so you can be like, hey, I didn't know about any of this kid touching. I'm Pope Innocent. I would be Pope doesn't touch kids <laughs> the first <laughs> i'll be the and then guess what's gonna happen 
give it another hundred years and you're going to be at Pope doesn't touch kids the 11th or some shit. Cause they're all just going to fucking take the name <laughs> in a row consecutively mm-hmm. too. Like I like what this guy's saying. Yeah. So Pope innocent was the one that issued the decree for the tax paying and the spoils and all that good stuff. Um, they end up. Can I, can I just say something real quick? Yeah. So this is still all during the first crusade. So the other kind of impressive part about this is, you know, Usually throughout history, the the clock is a lot. It's a long game. So stuff occurs over a long, long, long period of time. They go from non-existent to basically the most powerful entity in the Holy Land and in some countries within, is it a 30? Two decades. Yeah. Just that fast. As soon as you get that green light from the church, what do you have, like what's holding you back? How, well, and how easy to, is it to hide shit from the church if you don't have, like, a fucking church chaperone with you at all times? Well, and as that's going on, they're going out and they're very successful in the areas that they're trying to take over. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been anything like a full-on next wave of a crusade, mm-hmm. but they're still taking over these little areas and they're still bringing in gold and all that. And so not only are they being looked at as great for this banking system and all that, but then they get to bring home all these military mm-hmm. wins and... Um, they're basically like the special forces of Christianity in the Holy Land. Yeah. Like shock troops. Yeah. And that's really what they were coming into. It was 1144. Edessa is recaptured by Muslim forces of this dude named Zangi. And I think he was a Sultan, which again, Sultan's a sick title. I was going to say that's so fucking like Sultan. It sounds so much cooler than King. I know. Like even if you say King, Czar, what would else? Czar is kind of cool. Emperor. Probably bad connotations, but cool. Yeah, emperor. I don't know. I think sultan. Sultan is pretty, yeah, I like that. You just think rich immediately. Yeah. Um, so Zengi was a, a crazy fella in his own right. Um, he killed a lot of his own people for doing a lot of weird, like, not angry things. Mm-hmm. But after he takes back Edessa... Um, we run into the Second Crusade in 1147, and this was led by Louis the Seventh. So the, the King of England at the time, I can't remember his name, because I think King Richard the Lionheart comes in maybe in the Third Crusade. But there was the King of England also came down at the same time the King of France did, at the same time Louis ordered it. And he actually, Louis the Seventh went with them for the Second Crusade initially. Which, Louis was a dumb... Dumb man. Well, did you know what happened half? So they end up getting down because, you know, there were kind of two ways to get to the Holy Land. If you were sm- traveling like kind of by yourself or with a small group, you would come down and you could take a boat from somewhere in the Mediterranean, maybe even like Rome, somewhere around there, like Constantinople, those areas, larger cities that are on the coast. And you could take a boat to, I want to say, fuck, what was the name? Messina? might have been like the port city in the Holy Land and you could like take a boat there. But if you're taking an entire army down like Louis was, you got to stay land on land the entire time. So you got to go the long way around. Yeah, but the troops that he had taken just weren't trained. No, half of, well, on the way down there, they ended up getting attacked and like, yeah. harassed the entire way. And so it gets to the point where I think they lost a ton of guys and all of a sudden, Louis was just like, I think I'm going to head back. And he turned over because of how poorly his men performed during these attacks. He basically turned over control of the French army. He's like, I'm heading back to Paris or wherever it was. 
you guys take over. And he gave command of his troops then to the Templars as well. Well, I thought he stayed with them. He went back. He went back? Yeah, because they'd been getting, like, people picked off. He's like, how long is it going to be before someone gets lucky and I'm out of here? That's fair. But he just brought a bunch of dudes that were playing grab-ass the whole mm-hmm. time. Like, they, excuse me, they weren't disciplined. They weren't Didn't know how to doing, take orders or anything no. like that. And so when he left the Templars in charge, they basically broke up into groups and every one of them had like a master Templar that Mm -hmm. would be training them and train them into a a fairly decent fighting force. Um, And as they're headed down uh, back to Odessa, for some reason, um, instead of going after Odessa, where was it? Is this when they just get annihilated? Yeah. Oh, it's when they tried oh, to. Oh, so they were headed to Odessa, which was the part that was just taken back over by Zangi. But for some reason, Louis decides in like the 11th hour to say, hey, let's go get Damascus instead. That's right. Like instead of trying to take back what we wanted, we're going to go for the kill shot, which seems fairly dumb. Mm-hmm. Just because you're attacking a mother city who I'm sure has 10 million other people there that are ready to fight. So they lose handily in Damascus and get run back to a little town where I think they had to stay over the wintertime, maybe. Is that what it was? Let me check. Because there was a couple battles that really pretty much, like, killed the, I guess you called it, It's they call themselves the Crusaders, and that would be all-encompassing of, like, European, like, soldiers and people trying to come mm-hmm. down there. Um There was one, we're going to kind of jump around from times and everything. There was a point where, kind of what you were saying, I, they might have gone after Damascus. They were like, let's cut the head off the snake, kind of that position. And there was a guy that was with them that, his name is Guy de Luzion or something like that. And he was like one of the French commanders. And I'm not sure. He was a king. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, it was King Guy. And then the grandmaster that was with him was Reynald. Ronaldo de Chatillon or yeah. whatever it was. So is that later? That's the third okay. crusade. Okay. So um, the second crusade where they go after Damascus, they go after Damascus and obviously don't come back very well and have to end up staying in a town for an extended period of time. Well, they're not in the greatest part of like love with the people anymore because there have been questions about their motives. Like we were talking about mm-hmm. as far as spoils of war where the people were starting to kind of rebel. Word's, word's going to get around. Yeah. yeah. And to know that they don't have to pay taxes yeah, when like everybody else is not even paying taxes and they're just taking everything. How does that work? How, how do we pay them? You're going to challenge a guy in a full fucking suit of armor with a thousand, two thousand night. Yeah, and you're not going to license shit. to kill. Yes. So, these shop owners and these people in the city just charged them like crazy. And King Louis's budget for this war was just completely blown up. Well, he ended up having to then borrow money. So this is, and again, this is going to come all the way back around. The Templars were so rich that they pretty much funded the entire second crusade because Louis shot his wad burned up all his money, and so the Templars had to then basically fund the rest of that. There's kind of a common theme, too, here with when they... They seem to be all right at taking over Jerusalem and a couple of the surrounding areas, but when they try to, like, 
branch out to try to take on like to go to Damascus or these other Muslim strongholds to try to take, you know, take over. They're just not smart about it. And mm-hmm. part of that has got to also be the fact that like you're coming from Europe. Europe is a much more forgiving environment. I think it's a little bit, it's a lot lusher. Um, water is probably a little bit more abundant mm-hmm. and also things to eat livestock or, you know, animals, things like that. You're basically going from that. And that's where you probably trained your army initially. And then you're bringing them down to the fucking desert. And there's huge swaths of distance between these different like cities. And so you're having to march your army. If you're smart, you're trying to march them along a water source or between water sources or where there's cover, which is very scarce. Probably. Yeah. It's, very flat. Yeah. And so a lot of this has to do with these, you know, leaders of these armies and everything just not being smarter, kind of maybe even overestimating their capabilities against an enemy that literally lives in this shit. Like the um, caliphates and everything there and the different Muslim armies, this is their area. They know how to fight here. It's home court. No matter if you call it your holy land or not, they've still inhabited this place far longer than you. And Mm -hmm. their homeland, other than this holy land, looks exactly like it. Mm -hmm. So they're going to know exactly how to fight. And it ended up being, I'm not positive on the conversion, but it was 30,000 French pounds. And... I think the equivalent was either thirty or three million dollars today. So I'm just a, a I think very th- three. I think it was yeah a very large amount of money. So Everard, who was the uh, grand master, has to go around to all the different banks that they have around and basically like squeeze all the liquidity out of them mm-hmm. that they can. And they're going around and cashing in like lands and selling different things. Fucking just rolling up to his bank with just fucking carts and being like, I'm making a withdrawal. Mm-hmm. And this is just to cover King Louis's debt because once you've covered that and you have a contract of him borrowing it from mm-hmm. you, he was going to have to eventually pay that back. And the 30,000 pounds was literally like half of the income that he makes a year for the entire country of France. Mm-hmm. So that's not a small, and this isn't that's like, not a favor. No. And this isn't like a loan that you're just taking out where you're in a position of power above the people, I think Louis probably felt he was because he was the king of France. But you got to understand that when the Templars answer only to the church and the church is the supreme power, this isn't something where Louis can just be like, I'm not paying it back. No, it, it, they have no vow to protect him. They're, he's just kind of a conduit to what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So that is something that kind of plays a pivotal role because we'll see a little bit later on in the downfall that the son... I, I don't know if it was a son or a grandson of Louis ends up needing to cash that favor in. Mm-hmm. Um, so after that, they had a few wins. Uh, 1153, there was a siege of Escalon that was led by Baldwin III, and it was successful. But as the knights went inside... Uh, the fort, they basically said, you guys all stay back. Mm-hmm. We're all going to go in because we're the specialized fighters. Yeah. And you're also the people that get to raid everything and take whatever you want mm-hmm. once you get in there in the name of your Templar beings. We're going to go in here and make sure all the bad guys are dead. Give us a while. Don't come in here. Ignore anything you hear coming out. Mm-hmm. So they breach the wall, get inside, and I think they're inside of a building when there's a collapse that happens mm-hmm. and 
the wall is cut off and all the Templars are trapped inside the fortress with everybody that they were just trying to raid. Mm-hmm. And so they all just get murdered, killed, just completely wiped off the face of the earth. And this is just that group down here. So this isn't like all 2,000 of their knights or 18,000 whatnot. This is who's currently stationed during this battle and everything. But it's still, especially because these guys are their knights or their squires, like their support system, any of these guys getting killed are a lot harder to replace than one of their sergeants or chaplains. Very much so. Yeah, they're, it's a, a chunk of that, what you say, 20% of the fighting force? Yeah. Like, it's another chunk of that gone, mm-hmm. which is... And this is essentially your enforcers. This is who, if someone is going to try to come after, yes. your, come after your organization, these are your fighting guys. These are the guys that are going to be the guys defending you. The bill collectors, too. Yeah. They, they're going to get their shit mm-hmm. back. This is your Rocky Balboa in that first movie where he's the, <laughs> he's the collection agent. So, in 1177... Interesting guy, uh, the leper king Baldwin the Fourth mm-hmm. actually had leprosy. Yeah, and was out there fighting on the battlefield. I mean, I don't know what leprosy is. Isn't that where like shit just like randomly dies and falls off your body? It's like it's you. We get lesions on your skin, and like they heal really slow and everything. Um, I'm sure it plays havoc on your immune system. Trying to do that, considering you can't heal your wounds fast enough. So yeah, he did have leprosy from a young age. He, he's kind of portrayed in history in kind of a couple different ways. They said that for having leprosy, he still did have quite a bit of, I think the, they use the term vigor. Um, but then there's also some accounts of him exhausting himself pretty quickly. And he, he didn't have a lot of energy. Um, didn't take part in directly in a part of a lot of these or really any battles. There were a couple situations where he would <clears throat> march out with the army but then as soon as the fighting started, he's like, I'm in the back. He's like Cal Ripken trying to keep his consecutive game streak yes. alive. If he had a bad night before, he mm-hmm. was probably going to go out and get kicked out in the first inning. And at this time, kind of during the reign of Baldwin IV, you get this guy, um, Saladin. Sultan Saladin. And this guy essentially figures out the deficiencies and why the Muslim forces have been less successful against the crusaders and what basically he determines is that not only so the crusaders all despite being from england and france and kind of their shit they all have one common goal it's protection of the holy land taking over the holy land within the kind of the muslim community you have the is it the sunnis and the shiites those were the two i think i I think that's what it was at that point and these are essentially factions that don't get along and fight with each other Well, Saladin comes in, he's like, that shit's done, we're squashing this beef, we're (laughs) uniting, and then we're going to be able to go ahead and wreck some shit. That's a bad motherfucker. I know. He comes in, he's like, enough of this shit, we're getting together, we're kicking these fucking white people out of our area. (laughs) Then we can go back to fighting, but let's get get whiteies Yeah, let's get rid of these guys, and then we can start killing each other again. So, he ends up being the guy who, over the course of, you know, ten years, he ends up coming back for the crown jewel, he comes back for Jerusalem. And prior to him coming to Jerusalem, is this when he actually... No, this isn't when he takes it back. Yeah. So... Oh, they, it is. Okay. They yeah. lost at that battle of uh, Monizawa to the leper king, Baldwin. Mm-hmm. And over the next 10 years, Saladin is just basically, like you say, he's collecting everybody that he can. 
because he knows that they need to make the rush. And it was just a battle that he had lost before, but they're going to shoot for Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that Monizel was maybe a little bit outside of Jerusalem, so it was kind of like maybe they were coming onto the attack. So 10 years later, uh, 1187, Saladin takes back Jerusalem. Okay, so prior to that in 1187, what weakened Jerusalem allowed Saladin to go in there and do that is there was this battle of um, Hattin, H-A-T-T-I-N, in 1187. And this was the turning point, essentially, of the Third Crusades. This is kind of what I was talking about with King Guy. Oh, okay. What happened is, so Baldwin IV, he has a sister, and she marries um, Guy. Well, they have, the sister had had a son, Baldwin V, from her first marriage. The kid ends up having leprosy. And so the story is, is that she ends up, Mercy, killing this kid. What? Yeah. I'm not sure if she did or if he just ended up dying, but he doesn't, he doesn't live long enough, essentially. And what happens is Guy becomes king. Yeah, he, he killed her though. That's the, or he killed it though, or she killed it though. That's the better story. Okay, let's go with that. So, what King Guy has in mind is he's going to go ahead and take all of the Crusaders, all of his forces, and he's going to go out for like a decisive battle. And this is the Battle of Hattin. And basically, what they did is they come out and poor strategy they basically walk right into where it's going to be the strongest place to battle the Muslim forces under Saladin, and they get just annihilated. Oh, is this the orchards? I don't know. Let's see. Were they in one of the orchards trying to make their inroads, and then Guy decides to lead them to another orchard that he thinks is going to be less protected, and they show up and just get their shit rocked because it is protected? You are... Uh, I don't know, man. I just kind of know the overview of it. So basically what happens, though, is when it comes down to it, Guy's forces get entirely wiped out. He is captured as well as Reynard. Mm-hmm. So they get taken to Saladin. And one of the traditions is that if you offer somebody water, it's um, usually a given that they're going to let you live. It means that you're not going to be killed. So if you, what is it? If you tend to them, then you cannot kill them or yeah, something, it's like something that. About if like you guest, render aid, you cannot kill it's them. It's like guest rights or something like that. You know, when they, um, they talk about like, if you offer someone like bread and salt, I think that was a thing in game of Thrones. Like it means that you're safe under their care. So salt's kind of fucked up. It's just food hospitality. I think yeah. is kind of what it is. Um, so there before him, Guy and Reynard are before Saladin. Saladin offers Guy water. He takes a drink. Rose water. Is it rose water? Oh, yeah. He then takes the glass and Guy passes it to Reynard. And either Saladin does it or he has someone else do it, but they slap the glass out of his hand. They're like, it's not for you, and they fucking kill him. No, 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 no. Not, no, no, not for you. That no man. water for you. Um. And then at that point, I believe he does keep Guy alive. Yeah, he he imprisons Guy at that point. They then march on Jerusalem. Um, After like a three-day battle, they end up um, taking over Jerusalem. So Saladin ends up retaking it. And I believe this was where they rounded up the Templar 
and they ended up killing all of them but one. And they told that one to run to your nearest fort or whatever. Mm-hmm. Go tell your boys, we're here. You need to surrender now or we're just going to come do the same shit to you. So I think, don't they go back to, is it called Acre? Acre? Uh, it looks like it's Acre, but I think it's a car or something like that. Okay. So this is, I think, a city on the coast. And here's kind of where history... And kind of my thought process, I guess, diverge or kind of take a little bit of a different path. So you have this established order who is the first developers of banking. They obviously know what they're doing. They have all of this treasure established over the Temple of Solomon where there's supposed to be all this stuff. Their job initially is to protect the roads for the pilgrimage. All of this points to me like a group of individuals who are in a perfect position to move anything they want anywhere they want because they know where to go. They know where the danger's at. They can protect themselves. It it basically says to me that, and again, this is kind of jumping into it. I'll put on my tinfoil hat for a second. One of the, the legends is that the Knights Templar are in possession, and this is where some of the like uh, Da Vinci Code and all that kind of stuff comes out. My idea on conspiracies is this, is that to make a conspiracy last as long as it has or to make it a great conspiracy, you have to tie enough truth and have enough rationale in it to make it believable. You can't just say, like, something completely outlandish and outrageous and not have anything to tie it to. My position is, is if these guys discovered anything, one of also the ties to it is the the Holy Grail, um, that they may have been in possession of that. Also, in the Holy of Holies, there was the description of a spear that could have possibly been what they call the Spear of Destiny. Backstory on that, it's the spear that they used to essentially pierce Jesus' side during the crucifixion. And so... And the the chalice, the... The grail is what they caught the blood in, is what it's... Yeah, so the Holy Grail was the wine grail that he used at the Last Supper that was then... Used to catch his blood at the crucifixion. Yep, which, I, I mean, all of this sounds cool... But there's so many metaphors and things like that in the Bible and so many metaphors that I think went through it. Like, I don't think there was a Holy Grail. I don't think there was a spear. I don't think that that was a big enough deal back then to where those things would have been kept. Yeah, I think sometimes they can call, like, the Grail could have just been any type of container or something like that. I mean, there's much more likelihood that if it's a cup, and it was being used, you know, by Jesus and his disciples. It's not going to probably be something that's very fancy. If anything, it might be a clay cup. I'm thinking probably so. I think um, it was silver. Was it a silver chalice, something like that? Yeah. What I'm saying, though, is that, like, how easy would it be to lose something like that if during the time frame after Jesus, it just got changed hands a couple times? Ark of the Covenant is a little bit different because that was said to be at Solomon's Temple, now, that could have also been the fact that when Solomon Temple, Solomon's Temple got destroyed, it didn't get raided. I don't know. But what I'm saying is that, like, I think where the realism of the conspiracy surrounding the Knights Templar for all of this stuff, especially what I'm going to say going forward with them, I think, still being in some degree established, is that at one point, man, you can't be this powerful and then just, just disappear like we're going to go ahead and talk about. You have too many resources you have too many people that know what's going on 
and I think to some degree, you're going to have some people within this organization are going to be smart enough to be like, we kind of see the writing on the wall. Like, we're going to either distance ourselves from the Knights Templar name, we're going to reestablish ourselves as something else, but we're going to continue this because we're so successful at it. Yeah, and I guess lending to that, it was a secret sort of society, so there weren't, like, openly public roles of all the people that oh, were nice. Oh, if you only have to answer to the church, no one is going to know your shit. This, I love conspiracies. To me, this whole thing, like, holds no weight, but I do see where that thought process would come in, and it kind of comes in in the same thought process of, like, all of the Nazis that escaped Germany and went mm-hmm. down to Argentina. Is, yeah. Is that where it was? Yeah, that's what the yeah, that's what the the thought is. So I see the thought of both of those things because there are really weird things that happen down mm-hmm. in Argentina that like the, the German speaking villages and shit like mm-hmm. that. Like that lends to that whole idea. But there are also there are known Nazi outposts that were in Argentina that they established leading up to World War Two and during World War Two. Well, and just like I think that it's known now that the Freemasons say that that's where they got their uh, lineage from, was from the same king or the same Temple of Solomon. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of like the veiled saying of saying that we came from the Knights because the Knights had occupied mm-hmm. the temple. Well, there's some other things, too, that the Freemasons were established in um, Scotland. And that's kind of one of the other ties to it is there's... Um, things that tie the Templars to these places in Scotland and these holdings like in Scotland. So you have all these different outposts. So I guess the the best way to go about this is kind of explain how they came to their end and then why I think that it wasn't thorough enough to get rid of this entire establishment. We shot straight to conspiracy theories quick. I know we, we did stuff ties story. to so many of these to go yeah. back. So kind of getting back to the established history for the Templars. So they're getting forced out of the Holy land they're a bunch of their people are getting killed. They make um, an escape and they end up reestablishing themselves or some of them reestablish themselves on Cyprus. So they own the island. They, yeah, they'd given them whoever it was, the king that they had sold it back to just gave it back to him again. So they still had a home base, but it was an island. So it's not the best of strategic positioning. I don't think. No. Especially and, if it's not huge, it could probably be, depending on who's coming to take you over or coming after you, yeah. probably not the most defensible place, but... So, I, yeah, go ahead. I think they relocated to Acre first, and they were still sort of winning battles, but it didn't really matter because their whole thought process was... Everybody had realized that the Knights Templar were these people that protected the Holy Land. Mm-hmm. And so if you can't protect the Holy Land because that's been lost, like, what good are they? they hey, kinda, what, what services do they have? You kind of lose your M.O. Yeah. Like, you this, lo- is why, this is why you exist. You lose the people because they don't see the kind of the what you did before isn't happening anymore. And kind of the focus, too, is when we say that they relocated. Again, this is like people leaving the Holy Land and kind of reestablishing themselves kind of someplace to go. They still have all of these places established throughout France, Portugal, Spain, and Europe. So they have members of the Templar Order that are at these places as well. So it's not just like all of these guys are centrally located on this. No, and it's more the fighting factions that are it's, kind of The guys bad. coming out of the Holy Land yeah. that they use down there. So at some point, 
they're kind of like, all right, um, Holy Land thing's not working out for us. We're going to go ahead and kind of cool it on the Crusades. And around that time, they're like, well, since the Crusades are over, what can we then focus our attention on? Let's start fucking calling in our calling in our chips. Yeah, they were still in the banking industry. They were still doing all that. At that point, that's where their power was. Yeah, and that's where I think they were probably generating the most revenue. And this fellow named Jacques de Molay became the Grand Master uh, right around, I think it was 1281. And... When he comes in, he's a, a real religious man, and I think probably like a... To be a grandmaster, I think you had to be like above and beyond, mm-hmm. like a, a very good person. And right around that time, a fellow named King Philip the Fair, which is a very ironic name, uh, took over in France. I don't think it was fair, as in like just. I F-A-R-E, think fair, you think? I think fair is in like good looking. Yeah, not like just, fair is like cab fair. I think it's like I could see a French king being like, "I'm Philip the Pretty," and so I'm Philip the Fair. You don't think it was like a fair unfair thing? No, no. Well, Philip the Fair was very unfair in this situation. It's yeah, it's it's either highly ironic, yeah, or it's just that he thinks he's good looking. It could be. So again, France owes you know like 3 million that Tons. we know about, but it, it's, it's a lot. Cause they have been borrowing from the, the Templar Knights. They've been borrowing from them, but he still absorbed some of the debt that was left over from it's owed by, King Louis. It's owed by the crown. Yeah. It's not the individual. You don't just like, Oh, well he's dead. So no, it's, it's owed by the crown. So instead of paying him back and here's the other way that he was able to kind of convince this, sorry, getting off, getting a little ahead of myself. He was able to, pretty much squeeze the Pope and it, was it the Pope back then? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. it was Pope. Oh, I don't fucking know. Maybe this was pious. Anyway, it but, was a Pope. Yeah. That happened to be, was he the cousin? He was the cousin of the King of France. Was the he? Pope at this time. Yes. So which the ancient world is literally just a plethora of nepotism. Yeah, and interbreeding and mm-hmm. really gross bloodline crossing, different things like that, which is probably why those kids ended up with leprosy. So did you hear what he, how he got the church to turn on the Templars? Yeah, so the Pope had already heard just through rumblings of the people like that they weren't very happy that the knights weren't paying taxes because they still, they were out of the motherland. So they weren't serving their purpose. Why are they still not getting mm-hmm. taxed? So an advisor had come to the Pope and said, hey, we probably need to figure out how to reclassify this and kind of take that away from them because they're not doing what they need to Mm do. So it's already on the Pope's radar. And when uh, Philip the Fair said something to him, the uh, Pope sends a letter back saying, hey, we're talking about this. We're going to look into this. We already have this all planned to take a look at it. Like, we'll let you know how that goes. We're going to handle this in-house. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, King Louis the... You mean Philip the Fair. Or, yeah, King Philip, the conniving bastard that he was, decides that if he gets all the debt collectors to be disbanded, then his debt goes away. You can't owe the bank if there's no bank to owe. Very true. So how, if you're a religious order... What would you, what would come off, like, if you had to go ahead and say what these guys were doing is, like, crimes and everything, and you're, they're a religious order, what are you going to go with? 
Are you asking me what he went with? Or yeah. What yeah. he went with heresy and he went with a lot of stuff. Yeah. So heresy, as far as there were certain initiation things that you did as a knight to get you into the order, and this is at a time where like kissing someone as a greeting isn't like frowned upon. Like it's a fairly normal thing to be like, oh hey Peck, mm-hmm. you know, good to see you. It's France. Yeah. That's the the whole thing about it's the kisses on the cheek, like, you know. It, it's got to be cute. you got to be in each other's personal space. Mm-hmm. So in the vow of chastity, they vowed to never even kiss a woman, like not not a mother. That's right. They couldn't, even, they couldn't even have physical contact with family members. Like you couldn't hug like your sister. Uh-uh. If because somehow it would give you unpure thoughts about your sister mm-hmm. or women or some shit like that. It's a mermaid theory. If you're at sea for so long and you haven't seen anything, <laughs> manatees start looking like mermaids. True. Well, the other thing, too, is he also said, so it was heresy in the form of breaking vows of chastity. He said that the initiation involves some butt stuff. Well, so there was a... They supposedly had this idol that was a cross that was uh, carved out of the wood that the crucifix was made out of, mm-hmm. that Jesus was put on. And one of the things that they would do would be that they would spit one time on the cross mm-hmm. as like a, a heretic pushing against God, mm-hmm. like an antichrist at that point. And one of the funny things relating back to another podcast that we did, uh, this is the first time that the name Baphomet yes. is used mm-hmm. and written down in history. But it's not Satan. It's no. like some other type of it, satanic. It's a satanic deity like that. that they said the knights were praying to. Mm-hmm. So along with that, the whole kiss thing, as far as they would kiss the grandmaster or whoever got him through the ceremony, mm-hmm. they spun that around to say that there were three kisses, and these three kisses are like the funniest shit that I that I this whole thing like this three kisses thing paid off completely. So the three kisses that they said they would engage in when they were bringing somebody in is they would kiss the man in the small of the back. Mm-hmm. So like right above the ass totally crack. Normal. They'd spin him around. They'd kiss him on the belly button, which that's, to me, that's the next logical place you go. That's crazy. And then up to the lips. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, well, yeah, of course, if you're in a small of back, you're not going to go <laughs> up to the lips, then back down to the belly. You're going to go back belly mouth instead of just being like hey this is a little gay these two dudes are kissing they're like no no no. he kisses his belly button that is i obviously cool with gay people um a kiss on the belly button might be the gayest well, these thing. guys weren't cool with gay people no they they absolutely weren't <laughs> but a kiss on the belly button i don't think i would i i don't like that thought well Here's the thing, too, is what they basically did is he presented this to the Pope like, hey, I got some information that these guys are doing this shit. And he pretty much gave them, I don't know if he gave him permission to start the arrest or if he just did that because of this and said, oh, by the way, we've also got confessions. Because is this where Friday the 13th comes in? That was the, origi- the day that they were arrested. It was, but is this where the origination of the bad luck of Friday the thir- 13th comes in? Being the, like, there's some theories okay. that this is where it came from, okay. which I thought was interesting. Yeah, so on a Friday the 13th in 1307. October. October, Friday the 13th. So the creme de la creme of the Friday the 13th. Um, Philip, it's basically like a coordinated effort throughout like a huge section of like France. All of France, I think. Is it all of France? 
So they arrest 600, more than 600 knights on basically charges of like group sex and um, heresy, just all these charges. And they torture the fuck out of these guys. Now, they're no, they interrogate them. It's not all of the like all of the confessions. So basically what they're going in and asking for is they're like, we need you to tell us that he kissed you on the belly and then just torture the fuck out of them to get them to just admit to that's what they did. So they basically just asked them about the lies and then made them confess to it. The other thing, too, is like some of these guys they're talking about were in prison for one or two years before they were even able to stand trial. And so I don't know if really anyone is like familiar with medieval prisons during this time, I'm guessing there wasn't a, a long life expectancy in these places. Cause they said great. everyone was just dying. So they like hardly anybody ever got to trial. Like if you have one little case of like disease in the prison, they're like, we lost some prisoners. How many, all of them, but everything's clean. We just torched the dungeon. Yeah. So as soon as, they get these confessions and they run them through uh, their trials, basically. As soon as they were away from being tortured, they all immediately just recanted what they said. As soon as they got safe yeah. and in front of somebody like within the church, they were like, no, they were jabbing a fucking hot iron into me. Like, of course, I'm just going to fucking tell them what they want to hear. Yeah, do you know what medieval sounding is, sir? That's yeah, what I got. Every that's day. why they call it medieval torture. Like fucking throwing someone on the rack. It's well, not like off Princess Bride where they hook you up to the water wheel and the fucking. <laughs> and they, the they did convince the despair. Pope. <laughs> <laughs> the pit of despair. So the Pope ends up believing the Knights though. Yeah, he, he believes that they were tortured to say anything. And I think one guy even told him, he was like, if they told me that I had to kill Jesus they could or they tortured me to the point where I would have admitted that I wanted to kill Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like it was that bad that they would say anything. It was like fucking waterboarding before waterboarding. Well, here's the other thing too, is if like this Pope is even remotely intelligent, he's like, so the guy that owes you $3 million and hasn't paid yet is the one that provided all of this information of you guys doing this in the hopes that if I, you know, do side with him, he's now never paying that money. Which it does end up working out for Philip, regardless of the Pope believing the knights. He didn't, you know, prosecute any of them or punish really any of the ones going forward. But I'm pretty sure that Philip didn't have to pay. No. So they pushed everything forward. And as they pushed everything forward and they had their trials, the guy that I was talking about, Jacques de Molay, mm -hmm. he ended up getting burned at the stake. That's right. And so after they lose everything, uh, the Pope just goes ahead and disbands. And that's the Grand Master, right? Yeah, yeah. He was the Grand Master at that point. So the Pope officially disbands the Knights and basically takes away like them as their organization status. Mm -hmm. Then everything that they had, he gave to the Knights of the Hospice hospitaliers or something like that. Yeah. He, he gave that to he, them. But he also folded a lot of the knights into that. Mm-hmm. And when he did that, basically there was a loss in translation mm -hmm. and King Philip the Fair's debts were not on the books on that at that mm -hmm. point. So after all that happens, they take old Jacques to the square and I 
I guess I didn't think about it this way, but they put them on the stake and then they start the fire, so it's like a slow burn, so mm-hmm. it's a bad, bad kill. Yeah. And Jacques' requests were that they face him towards uh, the Church of Notre Dame, mm-hmm. the one that just burned. Mm-hmm. And when they bound him, he asked that they bound his hands together in a praying position in, in towards front of him. Usually they'd put him behind their back, tied yeah. to the stake, and he was like, can I at least have my hands like praying in, in, in front prayer, of me like yeah. this? So as this fire is kicking up and he's getting burnt to shit and dying the slowest, probably most painful way possible, he says Do that, you think it's that or Yeah, it's that's gotta be the worst way to go. Like you're being cooked while you're still alive. Yeah, because like with drowning, the process of drowning is gonna be what, maybe thirty seconds for that water to hit your lungs and you just to pass out. Could be, die. yeah. Like with this, you know, you're sitting on a fucking pile of wood with a stake in the middle and the fire just works its way in. So you're literally surrounded by the heat and it just gets hotter and hotter. And finally, then it's just right underneath you and cooks you from the fucking feet up. Well, yeah. And all your vital organs and everything that keeps you alive is up in your chest. And so then, it's going to take a while. I know, but then you're also breathing in like superheated air. So you're literally scalding yeah. your lungs. And so as that's going on, he makes a decree to uh, Philip and the Pope saying, doesn't he curse him? Yeah, he says, we will meet again, and something about them perishing within the next year. <laughs> so after he dies, miraculously, uh, King Philip dies in a hunting accident. Mm-hmm. And the Pope allegedly died in a castle that was struck by lightning, and the lightning crashed in the castle, but the lightning bolt hit directly over the room that the Pope was staying in. Mm-hmm. And regardless of the story, these two dudes died within that first year. They died within like four months of being cursed. Okay, this is what ties it in for me to the fact that they're still in existence. Maybe not in the capacity that they are, or maybe not today, but they continued on. Here's the thing. I'm pretty sure that with as big of the association was, if they really wanted to get to Philip and the Pope... With enough time, some planning, they could probably kill those two. Even if, and and of course, they don't care if they die. If they're trying to get to these targets that just fried and roasted their grandmaster. Here's the other thing. I think they're still so religious, though, that they would never go Mm -hmm. after the Pope. Mm -hmm. Like, they've lived their whole lives in that direction. Okay, but also, what if it was just a certain segment? It was like five dudes that were like, no, this isn't right. Like, and they just went off on their own and did it. Like the dark samurai or whatever they yeah, were like called. Ronins or Ronin or whatever. Yeah, the Ronin. Yeah, yeah. So here's the other thing too: is Spain and Portugal didn't have any problem with the Knights Templar. In fact, they actually were really friendly to them because they liked them. They, they were their bankers. Correct, but they had also helped them during some conflicts while the Crusades were going on. And when the Knights Templar got it established, they had came and helped them with either some civil war conflicts and helped the side that ended up winning. So Portugal and Spain still had all of these Templar strongholds. And of course there were already Templars. It's not like they just emptied them of all of them came to France. You know, only 600 knights got arrested. Probably some other ones might've died along the way, but you still have a huge number. And I'm not saying everybody stayed in the organization. What I'm saying is you had to probably have enough leadership surviving in Spain and Portugal to, Keep the keep the order going just in a different form. You're not going to go with the Knights Templar because you're not going to be allowed to do anything in France 
or probably Italy at this point if you're trying to operate under that name. I know it seems kind of like kind of kooky to talk about, but if you were an order that was this powerful, you were smart enough to establish modern banking or loans, things like that. I would think that you you look at the situation like, okay, so we're no longer welcome in some of these places. Like our name is is shit in in a good chunk of the developed world where we could potentially rename ourselves, come in and keep this whole kind of this banking hustle and even then future things going. And part of me kind of thinks, and I know this this kind of goes along, this is stupid to say, but there's the video game series, the Assassin's Creed ones. Mm-hmm. The Templars are essentially <clears throat> operating under a corporation name, but they still have their founding within the Templars. They're the Temples, but they're known by another company. I think it's like Abstergo or something like that. I'm not saying it's operating in that capacity, but... If these guys didn't go away and just went kind of underground or under new names, if there's anything that's going to teach you to go ahead and start being more secretive about your work, it's going to be having a country turn on you and what was previously your benefactor, the church, turn on you. You're not just going to give that shit up and go home and do something else. You're just going to do it more carefully. They already know how to stop. Uh, they already know how to completely operate independently. The church, they never needed the church, I don't think. They needed them for the protection, but as soon as the Knights Templars no longer had that protection, hey, we're just going to change our name. And I do think that that's also where some of the time where the Freemasons come in is, like you were saying, Nova Scotia, there's this rumor that there was a Templar treasure or some type of communication with Nova Scotia. There was this, um, there's like a Templar church that Roslyn Chapel or whatever that I think is in Scotland and there's other places throughout the world that have Templar influence. I just think that maybe they survived just in a different manner, and they just used a different name. I'm not saying it's nefarious or anything like that, but if any, and I know we've only done, what, like 23 episodes, we haven't talked about a lot of like societies and things like that, but out of all the groups that we've talked about, these guys seem like the most equipped to have staying power in the shadows if they needed to. They had... They had all this, how much of the money was on the books? You know, how much of this money wasn't in Portugal or Spain? Like they may have seized a lot of their assets, man. But I really feel like, you know, if you're so rich that you're funding a crusade and giving loans to kings and everything, and you haven't been paying taxes this entire time, you've got some shit squirreled away. Yeah, I don't like this when you go further conspiratorial than I do. I like to be the the out there one, but I and all this could absolutely be true. The only real red flags that I get with kind of a lot of these stories is one the time because we talked about it in the Viking episode. Um, if the Vikings had sailed from uh, Greenland to mm-hmm. Nova Scotia, that would have been like. 900 AD, I think, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, we're talking about a period of like 200 years before Columbus found the Western world by accident. Mm-hmm. For them to be able to have the technology to have a ship that could withstand that entire trip from Europe all the way over to find America. But you just said that the Vikings already did that. 
earlier than this. The Vikings did it from fucking Greenland. Correct. But if the Templars are established in Scotland and up there, that's the same place where Vikings had gone. That's not that far from Scandinavia. But that was just the eastern expansion. The western expansion was completely different. I get that. But you had to get from Scandinavia to Iceland, then to Greenland, then to Nova Scotia. So what's not to say that with more advanced ships than they had 400 years before, unlimited resources and funds, you're telling me that these guys couldn't have, while they were in Scotland, found all this information about a route to Nova Scotia? (laughs) What I'm saying is, like, all of this is, like, very... I, I think, and it might be just my brain working, I think there's not big leaps here. Like You're forgetting a very big one in okay. Scotland, though. What? What did Vikings like to do? Kill everyone? And take all of their money. So if you get these guys rolling into town trying to figure out how to get to a new place like Nova Scotia or anywhere like mm-hmm. that... You have to be under the understanding that the Vikings seeing all these dudes rolling in the treasure are like, okay, well, we'll just take your money and kill you. But the Vikings like, aren't established at this time. At this point, the Vikings have established settlements and started to kind of like distance themselves from Viking culture at those settlements. Well, and even then, though, the last time that they had talked to um, the people that were out on uh, Greenland, the last time they had talked mm-hmm. to them was like 1033. So we're talking about another 200 plus years where that colony isn't in existence. I know, but what other colony took its place? Nobody, because it was Greenland. Because you remember, they only had like the one settlement that they know of in Nova Scotia. I still think it's, if the Vikings were able to do this (laughs) 300, 400 years prior, I think it's very feasible. And it's not, they're not shipping 18,000 people, man. Like, all I'm saying is that all it takes is if a group of, let's say a group of a hundred, some of the knights, some of the sergeants, some of the chaplains, group of a hundred of them, were like, let's reestablish this order differently. Let's keep it secret. I just, I know that there's, there's not proof of it. What I'm simply saying is that maybe there's a reason there's not proof of it. Because the last time that they were established and out in the open, they got destroyed. Not like from a, a personnel standpoint, but their entire infrastructure got taken away. But yet they still had part of that in Spain and Portugal. And how long could they stay there in Spain and Portugal and reestablish themselves? I don't think... Spain and Portugal were also, dude, Spain and <laughs> Portugal were also like the <laughs> naval power. Christopher Columbus was from, like you said, it's Portugal. 200 years before that, I though. understand that. That's when he decided to go across, but what I'm saying is that you're not, you're going to sit here and tell me that Spain and Portugal couldn't build a few ships and these guys couldn't try to make it. I'm not even saying they made it to the New World before Columbus. What I'm saying is they could have stayed fully established in secret until after Columbus established a route to the Americas and then another 100 years from then as a society, it's not the same guys I'm saying. It's not like, you know, John is going to have to do this all in his lifetime with the Templars. They establish themselves and then, you know, go st- go establish themselves in the new world. So you think that they might have gone over, found Nova Scotia or wherever, and then came back, but all the people that were on the ship that weren't Templars... Weren't like, Why would they have to have non-Templars on the ship? You think 
all these financiers and everything knew how to float across an entire ocean? All of the sergeants? I'm telling you right now, when the Templars were an establishment, the Templars had a navy. They had a fort at... It might have been Acre. And I get that, but going across an entire ocean is a little different than having a navy. I get what you're saying with that. What I'm saying is that they had the technology to stay established. And whether they decided to go to the New World after Columbus... You're before saying, Columbus. I'm not even saying before. I'm saying that they were in a prime position where if Columbus discovered the New World, came back, and was like, yeah, this is how you get to the New World, what's to stop them from sending a ship over? So they just laid in secret for like 200 plus years? Why not? They have enough money. Why wouldn't you? Like, if you had the That's means... That's an extremely long game to play. It is, man. Especially when you're out there trying how long to was the Roman? Glory. How long was the Roman Empire? in power history like i told i said this history is all about the long game it's i know there's no proof to it but at the same time man we're going to talk about later about like secret societies and establishment that are more modern what i'm simply saying is that do you think that those secret societies given their choice would have any information out about them no but i think that's why they don't want it okay here's the thing though if those secret societies, let's imagine that like Skull and Bones or some of the other like secret societies were established much sooner, they would be much more practiced at being secretive. I'm just saying if you have this amount of time, what's to stop like, you know, there's been like rumors about certain members of the founding fathers being Freemasons, right? Yeah. Okay. That's what I'm saying is there are links and they're not huge leaps that you have to make between Templars and Freemasons, Freemasons and founding fa- like there's a connect. And does I'm that not- extend to country clubs though? Like do Templars own country clubs? They could, but here's the deal. That's, man. that's a very similar okay, thing. But at the same time, I think you're thinking this has a lot more gravity than it does. Even if that is what I'm saying is true. I'm not saying that it's world changing. What I'm simply saying is that it would be pretty cool and pretty impressive is if like, this society, the Knights Templar, the Freemasons, were able to stay established, and they had a hand in, like, building the country. And at that point, what if it was just, like, once they established it, what if, like, you know how, um, like, people that are Freemasons join a Masonic Lodge, stuff like that? They don't talk about it. You, you, you're not allowed to. No, but I think that's all by design. It is. What I'm saying, though, because is Because you desi- don't want more people coming there. Like, you, you just want your own group of boys or... Fant- Fantastic. That's all I'm talking about here is it would have, it would make sense if that had its establishment or its roots in a previously established society that was extremely well-funded, had a lot of individuals, was very advanced. They controlled finance in Europe for how long? You, you don't just like, they get rid of your name and have you disband and you're like, okay, that's cool. What's, what's more likely? Let me just say this. (laughs) What's more likely? That they you're were not just like, like my answer. <laughs> I know I'm not, but like I feel like you're just trying to like fucking goad me right now. What's what's more likely that when Pope is it is that Bonefast? Oh, that was his name. Yeah, Bonefast. Okay, I was looking at that for a while. It might Pope, be Bonefast. I Bonifest. feel like Bonefast sounds. Can I right. do Bonefast? Bonefast is okay. cool too. That he's just like, hey, you guys need to knock this off. And they're like, cool, cool, yeah, we'll we'll disband. You have an entire, you've lived your life 
doing this. And he's just like, go about your business, go, go home, separate. Or you could be like, we got a lot of fucking treasure left over. We have these two countries that are really friendly toward us. Okay. Uh, but yeah, bone fast. We're going to go ahead and disband. Um, since we're no longer part of the church, we're just going to like head to Spain and Portugal. Cool. All right. How friendly can these places be though? They were extremely friendly to him, man. They'd help them. Why? Because I, they hadn't gotten all the taxes that these people no. owed them. I get that they helped them in wars, but after those wars are over, the most important thing no. is the sentiment that you feel, and the I people already that. didn't like them. Not in Portugal and Spain, man. There was no... They had to get there, though. I understand that, but you realize France and Portugal, like, you have to go through Spain, which connects to France, and then Portugal is on the outs, you know, on the west side of Spain. But you have to get out of France. They weren't being hunted at this point. The Pope was like, you guys are good, just disband. But you don't think all the people were like, finally, these guys that fucked with us and had a license to kill or free game. I'm guessing quite a few people made it out, and they already had established Templar castles and forts in Portugal and Spain that already had Templars there. (laughs) So it's not like many people even had to get out. What I'm just saying is this. What's more likely, that they actually disbanded or that they went and kind of reestablished themselves or at least lived off the gold for a long ass fucking time. So I would, what would you do in that situation? Would you just disband and be like, I'm going about my business. Or if you know there was a shit ton of gold and treasure and you guys had a system established, would you go back to that? It's the drug dealing thing we talked about, like literally three weeks ago. Do you go out and try to learn a new skill when you've been doing this for so long? Or do you go with the easy thing that you know how to do? You just try to be better about it. I would say the easiest thing would be like, yeah, I'm going to take all this treasure to Portugal. And then as soon as I got out of eyesight, I'd be like, fuck you. I am out of here. I have enough gold to live for the rest of my life. I think that at that point, if if it's me, I'm not going off on my own. I'm going where I know it's safe. And I'm going where I know that there's people like me that are in a it, for protection, strength in numbers. And at that point, when they're in Portugal and Spain, France can't do anything about them. Italy can't do anything about them. England can't do anything about them. I guess I just look at it as, like... Take the the fantastical elements of the fucking Holy Grail and the Ark of the Covenant and all of, like, that stuff. Like, the holy legend stuff around them. Think of it just from a standpoint of a human standpoint. If someone was like... You're no longer protected by the church. You no longer have jobs. But you know of all of this stuff that you still have and a safe haven. That's where you're going. Once you get there, hey, do you guys want to kind of keep doing this to keep making money? We can just do it under a different name. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. I don't think you get this skill set of owning all this land and managing all this money and getting so good at this. And then you're just like, well, you said we can't do it anymore. I guess we can't do it anymore. From a human standpoint, without all of the fantastical elements of like the holy relics and everything, I think that it's very likely that they continued on in one way or another. I'm not saying that they are a powerhouse corporation like front or anything, which I actually think would be kind of fucking cool. But I don't be. like, but I hope that it's not that because these people would basically just murder people because they thought a bearded wizard in the sky was on their side being like, do it. It was like the emperor being like, I shouldn't kill this guy. He's like, do it. I think part of it for me, (laughs) part of it for me is anybody that would have got out. I don't know how deep they were into it because the soldiers had to 
keep in mind, like, we're doing this for God. We're doing this for the church. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they had to have that probably to continue living that life. Okay. The, Here's the other question. It'll lead into yours. Come on, man. I don't just think about this while you're talking. That's think, not going to work. I can't know, do both listen. of those at the same time. All I'm saying is this. Yeah, they killed the Grandmaster. With with these guys having so much treasure and access to all this stuff for so long during the Crusades, before all this even happened. You know how they said that they weren't like allowed to be individually rich? Do you think that like the like upper command of the Knights Templar, like the guys that were like highly established, long-tenured, Grand not masters. just knights, grandmasters, but also you had your grandmaster, but I'm guessing you also had guys overseeing other areas, yeah. Grand, especially with communication. You had to trust people and be like, I have my, I'm the grandmaster and then I have my lieutenants and then my lieutenants have their guys they trust. Then there's the sergeants and the, and the chaplains. What I'm saying is that I don't think you are, it's like pulling weeds. You may get a couple, but I think you're leaving the roots of the, of the whole thing there. And I think those people probably already have the leadership skills because they've been doing this for the whole 300 years, you know, teaching people how to do it, like different iterations. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's likely that happened. I, I don't know. Just from a human, human standpoint, I think that it's very feasible that they continued in operation in, in one way or another. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I think some of these guys were skimming the entire time. I'm, if it was you and you had access to unlimited treasure. If I was doing it for religious reasons, I would skim like crazy. If you were doing it for religious reasons, oh, you yeah, would skim absolutely. like crazy. You're already killing people. Like, what do you think? Taking some treasure is going to be worse than killing people? That's where I think sort of this kind of falls short. Because if those people, like, you had the very religious, like I was talking about, you had the very religious knights, like the, the staunchly religious mm-hmm. knights. Do you think the money traders and basically the accountants for them were held like the, I don't see where they would have to have like the fanaticism about the religion to where after you get bitch slapped by the whole church that you've done this whole thing for. Yeah. You don't want to get back. You don't want to get back at them, but the best way to get back at them would be everybody takes the gold and leaves. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they would have to do it all together. I, I know that they all lived on after that, the the ones that got away. Mm-hmm. But I think it turned into something like, well, we weren't in this for the religious reasons, so there's really no reason to stay together. Everybody that's been skimming, you just take your fair share and you guys go do your thing. Because I don't know if they had like the, the core feeling. Like the knights, I could absolutely see the knights doing it because they were all bound by this religious quest that they were all on together i see that too i just i go back to the analogy is that absolute power is gonna absolutely what is it absolute power corrupts Corrupts absolutely absolutely. and i think when you're this like look through history there when is there you know there may be a few benevolent rulers that are known to be like fair and kind and just but the 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 ratio of corrupt power hungry ruthless fucking assholes just it dwarfs it and i think that even if you had i'll even give you this i'll even say 50 percent of the survivors went about their business and let's even knock the number down to ten thousand that were in establishment at this time so five thousand decide to try to either keep something going or do anything 
I think you're going to have enough people and you have the infrastructure that you're able to do something along the lines of what you've been doing. You're just going to be smarter about it. They're already obviously smarter than fucking 90% of all of these people, considering the fact that fucking Philip needed money. He didn't know what the fuck he was doing. And the fact that no one thought to develop a banking system before these guys came along and they did it in 30 years. And then the rest of that time, they were just making fucking bank. They were absolutely very smart. I'm I, not going to convince you of this. I can see that. No, but my thought would be like, what What would be the purpose of starting a secret society here in America like the Freemasons? Okay. I think the reason that they would try to do that is because I think once you are in a position of power... I think there are individuals that will do anything to hang on to that power. We see it today, obviously, all over the world. And I don't think those people are willing to go ahead and give up that power. But what those people can do is if they find themselves in a position where they can't openly have that power from a public's perception, then I think you just get sneaky about it. It's, It's the same thing. Like, do you think in today's politics that there are like, you know, little groups or niches, Bohemian Grove, those societies that are about, you know, the old boys clubs or whatnot that kind of do the same thing. They make agreements, they split power, they're working it behind the scenes. It wouldn't surprise me if at some point there were people that came over to establish America and had their ties to Freemasons, Templars, whatever, could have financial backing to get into positions of power within early politics. I think it just, I don't know. It, it makes sense. It's not a huge leap to me. I know it's kind of far fetched, but I think the the roadmap is there. Do you think that generational <laughs> gap between the ones that were in power and the ones that would have come back over, there would have been that same feeling of knowing what was on top? Because if you have like a, if a grandson of a Templar is over here and he's trying to hook up with, GW and everybody else they've been out of circulation for so long and these kids have never felt what power was so do you think they would have that same the the people that I'm saying would be like the Templars of our age that would bring in like the the Freemasons but what if they never got out of power they couldn't fly under the radar and stay out of power yes you could you could have power and fly under the radar yes what it's it's Lobbyists, man. Like, how many lobbyists... Yeah, we're talking about current times, though. Back then. Okay, but what I'm saying is that stuff has... The reason that that works now is because it's been proven to work in the past. As long as there's been politics, there's been people lobbying and trying to... You know, the best word is bribe or coerce people with money or promises of power to meet their agenda or do what they're doing. This isn't new. You know, you watch anything or read anything about, like, look at Rome. Rome was nothing but senators and people who were trying to speak on behalf of people. You're saying that those individuals never took money to go ahead and voice their opinion for somebody in the hopes that that person would profit? They did, but they weren't a part of a giant organization. I understand that. What I'm saying, though, is that you're going to be smarter about it. You see the same thing like in – it happens in the United States. It happens in Russia where you have like the oligarchs that are getting – preferential treatment for certain contracts, government, things like that. But you never really know who these people are. You hear about them, 
What are you talking about? Adam, I know you hear names. Well, what I'm saying is you think that's the complete list of names of people that are in power and have influence? No, but the big benefactors we know. They are. So you would thing- have to be have the forethought to be like a, a lower to middle range benefactor, okay. but have the power. That's fine. Of- but then what's also the drawback if you're a member of this society and you are known to the public? They don't know you're a part of this or that you are a member of the Freemasons or you're a member of this other you know group of people. You could just be this really rich guy. I, I understand. Like I've said this, I understand it's kind of far out there. I, there's a no, lot I, to try to connect the dots. I fully appreciate the thought that you put into it because it's... I'm rambling. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've been on this for a minute, for sure. All right. But I I respect the curiosity because there are things that I feel like you do need to suss out in your brain and really kind of figure like the Occam's razor is something that I go back to a lot. And you know what that is? I've heard of it, but just refresh me. Like the most likely scenario is, is the probably like, the so it's most a, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it most likely is a duck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, and I and I, I totally get that, and I'm not saying there's probably more of a reasonable explanation. I'm just saying that like, well, an explanation the, going through to like the Freemasons mm-hmm. that would be an Oakham's Razor scenario mm-hmm. because it's they've said they have the ties and all that kind of stuff. So it's a one thing has showed me this is that. World history, weirdly enough, and we keep kind of like intertangling this web, just like this. This had ties to Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And then, you know, we've talked about other stuff where we've harkened back to previous episodes. We're like, do you remember when we discussed this? So I feel like there's a lot more connectivity within like world powers and like historical events and things like that. And I mean, Friday the 13th. Yeah. Um, Baphomet. Like, these things that we talk about now in history are all rooted in these times that were significant, but we don't know the significance because it's been lost kind of in... That's what I'm saying, too. It's like, you look at this, like, why are the Hospitaliers not more well-known? They were still a big group of knights and everything. I can't even say it. I know. So you have, like, you know, these guys have stayed in some type of cultural relevance since their inception back in 1099. I'm just saying there there could be reasonings behind that. And here's the other thing too, is if you're creating a secret society, there probably is a little bit of a benefit in like the reverse psychology of giving snippets, but making them seem like conspiracy to make it seem far-fetched. You want lead, to be... Lead a trail of breadcrumbs in the opposite direction you're going. You want to be in the public eye enough to where everybody knows you're a secret society. So you you want the press far enough to know that everybody knows, well, there's going to be more behind the curtain. And present yourself like you're not threatening or anything. Like, if you talk about the Freemasons, you're like, oh, the guys that wear the... Because isn't the Freemasons and the Shriners connected, right? I don't think they are. The Freemasons are an odd bunch. Okay. We'll do a Freemason episode and, like, the... The ceremonies that they do, I think that they're more of like a a lodge type, like, hey, let's get together and have Mm -hmm. a beer and do stuff for the public in the name of the Masonic Lodge. But the initiations that they do with like... And the time it takes you to get to that point and everything. And like, they give you a, it's like a hammer for some sort of reason, Mm -hmm. and they give you a ruler to like measure your... It's all about the act of masonry. Yeah, which it, it's it's symbolic at this point. It's so fucking odd. All right, well, getting back to this, you got any final final closing thoughts? I feel like I've tapped myself out of this. I've drained myself. Yeah, we knew that this was going to happen. The knights were 
they're fascinating, but fuck, they're just it's so they're so complex. Yeah. It's not just guys in suits of armor killing people. I mean, a lot of that is what it is, but like behind the scenes, like this was just a lot more, a lot more to it. <clears throat> yeah, tons. All right, guys. Well, thanks for hanging in there with us, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Peace. Later. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us for another episode. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe and like button. Follow us. If you didn't like what you heard, still hit that anyway, because we'll probably cover something in the future that you do like. Um, please follow us on our social media. Adam, hit him with it. Uh, our Instagram is historically high pod, historically high pod, and we are on Twitter at historically high. That's historically hi. All right. And if you guys want to send in any feedback, suggestions, hit us up on those two, or you can even do it on Gmail. It's historically high podcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again. Peace.